0: If you wouldn't mind, open up your copy of the scriptures to Romans chapter 15. It is hard to believe that Lord willing, next week we will finish Romans. It has been, I don't know if that's a yay, thank goodness we're done, or if that's a yay, it's been such a sweet season. But I will say it has been such a sweet time of working through Uh, the book of Romans over the past few years with some different breaks and things. It's been a joy to sit with you for most Sundays and to be encouraged and to be challenged by the truth of God's word, particularly here in Romans. So by now, we've actually hit probably all of the best known parts of Romans. In fact, if you were to make kind of an ESPN kind of top 10 highlights of the book of Romans, I can almost assure you our text for today would not make it in there. It's, it's just not gonna make it in there. Um, but it is God's word, right? And we know that God's word, all of it is breathed out by God and is profitable for us today. So our task for today is to take some time and see what would God have us learn Today, from the back half of Romans chapter 15. What would God have us learn from it? So, I'm going to start with just reading the text out loud. It's going to take a few moments to walk through it. I'll pray, uh, and then we'll go ahead and get to work. Does that sound good? Let's try that again. Does that sound good? Yeah. Thank you. Romans 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have been hindered often from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Thank you for your word and how it uh, brings light to darkness, how it helps us see clearly. And I pray today that you will open our eyes to see truth in your word. And that we would know and understand what it looks like for us to live as people changed by the gospel. Would you bless us today as we're gathered? Would you encourage and challenge us today as we hear from your word? Thank you, Jesus, for the cross and all that you've done. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. So as I said earlier, uh, none of these verses would probably make it into a highlight reel if we were putting one together for the book of Romans. In fact, if if we were to be honest, and um, I try to be from the pulpit, right? (laughs) If we were to be honest, I think... Many times when we read through the New Testament letters, particularly the letters that Paul is writing to churches, when we get to the back end of the letter, when we start to feel like he's wrapping it up, when he's, you know, giving greetings and different things like that, I think we quickly, our eyes get glazed over, and we kind of just kind of move through it. It's like, oh man, I just hope I can get to the next one. It's kind of like genealogies, (laughs) you know, we just flow right through them so we can hopefully get to what we would consider the good stuff. But I want to Contend with you today that in this text there's loads of good for you and for me in the year 2016. But before we kind of make a beeline for application, what I want to do is do a really like two or three minute overview of what's going on in this text. I want to just explain a few things about what is happening as Paul is writing this letter so that we can kind of unpack this together uh, from, from this text. So let me start by just reading 14 and 15 again, because it's kind of our transition verse. And then we'll we'll do a little 50,000 foot view of this text. It says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you boldly, very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God. So what's going on here? Well, I think we can break this text into really two main sections. And actually, most of your copies of scriptures probably will break it down into two sections. We've got this section at the beginning here where Paul is kind of uh, unveiling or communicating his ministry. He's talking about and defending his ministry. And then the second part, this, the second part is him unveiling his travel plans. Unveiling his travel plans. So it's why is he doing ministry and how is he doing ministry? And then his travel plans. Now... What does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us? Well, we're going to get to that. But first we need to figure out what is actually going on in this text. So let's put ourselves in the time that Paul is writing. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And it's actually a church made up of people that he's he's not been to actually see. He's actually never done ministry with them. He doesn't really know them. They don't know him. So why in the world... Would Paul, at the end of this letter, take some time out to talk about why he's doing ministry and how he's doing ministry and in what way he's doing ministry? Well, it's, it's, it's honestly quite simple. Paul is trying to make sure the Romans don't write him off. He's showing his credibility by God's ordaining him as an apostle to the Gentiles. He's just quite honestly saying, I wrote boldly to you. Because it's my job to. God has has made me to minister this way to you. So as we kind of read this, we've got to keep in mind, this section here is Paul just trying to tell them, here's why I'm doing what what I'm doing. Here's why you shouldn't just write off this letter as written to you by somebody who doesn't even know you. I am gifted by God for this kind of ministry. Don't write it off. Then he moves from there to give his travel plans. If we understand this text, if you read read your New Testament, you'll know that um, Paul had been tasking some of the local churches to gather together a gift, a love offering for the church in Jerusalem. And Paul, at this point in time, is planning to take it to Jerusalem himself. Now, I pulled up a map because I wanted to kind of look at this myself. Um, But if you were to look at a map, Paul is most likely writing this letter from Corinth. And Jerusalem is 1,000 miles East, east of Corinth. Rome is west. So if he's hoping to get to Spain by way of Rome, he's taking this big gift from the local churches and he's going the opposite direction. So for some reason, Paul sees it as such an important piece of his ministry to take this gift to Jerusalem. It's just a really, really uh, important thing we have to to recognize. (laughs) He's planning to go 1,000 miles out of his way, 2,000 miles round trip to do this ministry that God has called him to. All right, so this is the landscape we're dealing with. I'm done with this kind of high-level, 50,000-foot view. We've got Paul unveiling why he's doing ministry. We've got him laying out his travel plans and how he hopes to make it to Spain by way of Rome. So then we ask the question, well, Ryan, what does this have to do with me? glad you asked because I plan on telling you. If we will spend some time in this text, I think what we see woven into the very fabric of this text is a beautiful picture of the local church on mission. I think we get glimpses of what it looks like when Christ comes into a person's life, and their lives are radically changed for the gospel, and they decide, you know what, I'm all in. I want to do this. I want to live for Christ. We get a picture of what that looks like. Little glimpses throughout this text of what it looks like as we strive together as the local church for the gospel. So that's what we're going to do today. I want to show you uh, a few things from our text. And the first one uh, is, is quite simple. I think we see very clearly here in Scripture that as a local church, as people who have been bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have the joy to do ministry together, to strive together in ministry and I'm going I'm to try to be very careful as I communicate this throughout today. I'm going to try to use my words specifically and say, we get to strive together in ministry. I think so often from uh, you know, working through texts like this or really any of those texts where it's like go and be or go and do, we get this kind of, man, I have to, man, I got to. But there's this joy, I promise you, this joy as we serve the Lord and strive together. In ministry. So first let's take a look at verse 14. I think this is the first place we begin to see this unfold, where Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. This word instruct means to admonish, to warn, to counsel. In fact, it's the Greek word nuthateo, which we use a lot, of, a lot in our biblical counseling circles to, to counsel and love and warn and help someone grow and change. This is a really neat moment in scripture where Paul is looking at the church in Rome and he's saying, you have the maturity needed to minister to one another. You actually have the knowledge, the understanding of who God is and what he's done. And you have the skill, the maturity to love one another in this way. And so I think the same goes for us today. I think if we would just look at the landscape of what Christ is calling the church to do, we have the opportunity, we get to strive together as we minister to one another. Paul sees this kind of counsel and sharing of wisdom for life as a good and natural part of a healthy local church. Friends, I know, I want to say this in all humility, I know that I have loads of growing to do. I have loads of growing to do. But I can say to you without, uh, with 100% confidence that I would not be the man I am today without the ministry of this church in my life without the people who have come alongside me, spoken hard words to me, spoken encouragement to me, I would not be the man that I am today without it. I have countless examples of dear friends of mine coming to me and exposing my sin in areas that I was blind to. I couldn't see. In fact, this one is forever imprinted in my brain. I had a dear friend of mine who was seeing some specific sin in my life and he called me over the phone he said hey Ryan we're gonna you want to go get some coffee I would like to talk to you about your sin <laughs> sure Starbucks or velocity what are we doing <laughs> like, but it was such a good moment uh, we ended up having a conversation about something that the Lord was already convicting me in but he was seeing it Sometimes we think our sin is just kind of on the inside and nobody really sees it, and it's just clearest to us. But when it starts being seen by others, it's, it's really ugly. It's really nasty. So I had this the joy to have this brother of mine who said, "You know what? I love you enough to say hard things." So what a joy it is to be a part of a church that does ministry like this. We see the same idea in Galatians 1 where he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is a natural part of the Christian life. We will be involved in each other's lives and we will minister to one another if we want to honor the Lord and live for the gospel. So is this hard sometimes? (laughs) Yes or no? Yeah, it is. It's very hard sometimes. Sometimes you do the best job you can and you try to bring this up with somebody and it just blows up in your face. Well, that didn't go well. I'm never doing that again. But then there's sometimes times where you see a brother or sister respond in repentance and change. And it rem- reminds you that all of this is worth it. That if we treasure what Christ has done in uh, our lives, this is what will be About There is one specific context we've set up in our church to help you with this. Can anybody tell me what it is? Wow, small groups. (laughs) Small groups. We should say that with a little more joy. Small groups. We have set up a context for you and for me to one another each other well. In a small group, we have the opportunity to love each other well. I've been in, in a number of small groups in my time here, and I can think of a hundred times and when, when we've rejoiced together from something awesome that the Lord has done. Or when we've wept together because of heartache and hard things. And then when we've wrestled together to put our sin aside and trust Christ Every day. This is why we have small groups in our church. And if you are not in a small group, I just want to let you know you're missing out on one of the best contexts for growing and changing and for building these great relationships. I don't know where I would be without the number of people that have influenced me in my small groups in the last 10 or 12 years that I've been here. I'm so grateful for that ministry this is not, I'm going to kind of transition here, this is not the only kind of ministry that we see we are called to. If we have on our mind all of Romans and we understand the gospel and every, everything that Paul has communicated through the entirety of Romans, we will also see another kind of ministry here. That is our joy as the local church to take the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ into our community. You say, "Ryan, where do we see that?" Well, let's look at verse 23 and 24 together. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. How is it? How is it that Paul can say my work here is done? How in the world can Paul say my work here is done? I know for a fact that not everybody in these regions knows Christ. I know for a fact that not all of them have even had the opportunity to hear about Jesus yet. How is it that Paul could say, my work here is done? Well, Paul was confident of two things in his life. He knew, number one, he knew his job. Paul had gifted and planned for Paul to be that trailblazing missionary. Paul knew that his job was to go to places that had no gospel witness at all. But the second thing Paul was confident in is he knew that there were churches scattered throughout the regions who it was their job to take the gospel to the communities. He knew that when he said, the job here is done for me, it was not for you, it was for him. It was not that the the church in Thessalonica, the the work there was done for them. It was that Paul, as the minister of the gospel, taking it to the darkest places in the the world, uh, that he had to go, but they had to stay and carry on the work of the gospel in those areas. So it's very practical when we think about our own lives. Because not all of us, in fact very few of us, will be sent, like Paul, into dark regions to take the gospel where it's never been heard. But every single one of you has the opportunity and gets to put the gospel on display in your community. You get to talk about Christ in your schools. You get to talk about Christ in your neighborhood. You get to talk about Christ in your gym. You get to talk about Christ with your family and with those around you. It is with joy that we continue the work of taking the gospel to our communities. In fact, we see this playing out very, in a very real way in our own congregation. So by God's grace, uh, the leaders of the church and our, and our missions director taught us putting together this team called PG6. The hope is that they can take the gospel to an unreached, unengaged people group where the gospel is not being preached. Now we are not sending them because there's no more work to be done here in Northern Kentucky and Cincinnati. We're sending them because we need people to take the gospel there And we're staying here because we're going to be great senders and we're going to take the gospel in our communities. You see that weaves together, that if we are to strive together for the gospel, it means some will go and some will stay. But all will be about Jesus. All will be about taking the gospel to places where people don't know it. That's the beauty of why I've titled this striving together. Because as a church, we are better together. We can minister better together so we can send this team to uh, an unengaged people group. And we can continue the ministry we have here on our backyards because we love Jesus. And we're excited about him going everywhere all over the world. We get to strive together in ministry. I think in, in, the, uh, in a study guide put together on the book of Romans, you've got this quote uh, in your outline. Uh, I think it was just explained really well. It says, from the wider context of Romans, so once again, understanding the entire book of Romans, Romans 15 comes on the heels of an entire book of great theology uh, for salvation and for sanctification. So from the wider context of Romans, however, we know that the message that Paul proclaims is God's gospel, which is itself powerful to save all who believe. But this is not dependent upon Paul, but upon God. And so we too may be involved in people becoming acceptable to God as we preach his gospel. Furthermore, as we do so, we may be fully confident that the good news of salvation is available to all people. Clearly, it is the local church's joy and responsibility to carry the message of Christ to their community. Paul is moving on because his job is taking him elsewhere. But he's moving on in confidence because these local churches will carry on the ministry of the gospel. I love this picture of striving together. That is, as we send people out into other countries with the gospel message, that we're sending them out as an extension of Christ and his work here. We're sending them out as people who can go after uh, new places that have not heard about Christ or where there's not a good and healthy established local church. But then we, as senders, also bear the weight, the responsibility, but the joy of taking Jesus to our community. So may God give you and give me wisdom to identify areas of ministry in our lives, whether it's one anothering or taking Jesus to people who do not know him, may God help us identify ways and places and people where we need to take action. It truly is our joy to strive together. And I use that word strive on purpose. It's this wrestling, laboring together. It is our joy to do that. But it's not, not only do we see that ...in this text that we have an opportunity to strive together in ministry. But I want to kind of turn a corner and show you something else we see. We see that God has given us the opportunity where we get to strive together in generosity. We get to strive together in generosity... Let's read uh, verse 25 and 26 again. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So Paul... At, his, at this moment was gathering up all of this aid, this love offering, and he was going to take it to uh, the poor in Jerusalem. Most historians, uh, a number of historians would say that there was probably a famine going on in Jerusalem at the time. So not only were they, were they poor, but they were just struggling. There was not a lot to go around. And these churches, other churches who loved the Lord said, you know what? We will sacrifice from what we have for the benefit of other believers. What a great picture of a faithful local church. What a great picture of somebody who recognizes that what we have, every bit of it, is from the Lord and is still his even while it sits in our bank account, in our wallet, and in our refrigerator. Most scholars believe money would have come from churches like uh, the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Corinth, and they dug deep into their pockets to bless the church in Jerusalem. I love this word contribution because it's actually the Greek word koinonia, which we use for fellowship, for communion. So the church recognized all of this is God's, all of this is his. So we get to commune in fellowship with this other church as we sacrifice and love them. What a neat picture of generosity. What a kind of a full picture, rather than just let me throw a few dollars at it, but let me commune, fellowship with each other, uh, and while you are in need. Now, I have to personally admit that I have never uh, been in a a severe poverty situation myself. So I've never, you know, been in a place where I was was wondering what food is going to go on the table. I've never been in that position, but I can tell you one thing. I have experienced the generosity of the local church. I can remember when, uh, when, when we found out that Tabitha was pregnant with Daniel. And we were, uh, go, I was going to school full-time, she was going to school full-time, I was working full-time, trying to pay for everything. And we found out that she was pregnant with Daniel. And I remember kind of, you know, we have food on our table and we have, you know, we're, we're taken care of. But I remember you start to look at the cost of diapers. <laughs> you start to look at the cost of wipes and all the things that kind of add up, uh, For taking care of a baby. And it starts to to freak you out. (laughs) Freak me out. And I remember. Nine months later. Being able to look around my apartment. And I could see piles of diapers. Piles of wipes. A crib. A changing table. Clothes. You name it. We had it. And I don't know that I paid for a single bit of it. It came from our brothers and sisters in the local church. And so we probably would have made it. We probably would have figured out a way to eat. I might have had to get another. I don't know what it would have looked like. I don't want to paint it as like super desperate. I don't want you to see that. But I want you to see how the local church stepped up. Our friends, our family, believers said, you know what, we love you. Let us bear with you this challenge. What a beautiful picture of what Christ has done that we get to share with others what God has given us. I love being a part of a generous church where I've seen this over and over and over again. But this generosity that we see here in this text is not just simply limited to believers. It's not just simply limited to sharing with other Christians. I think we also see that here in this text it can be our joy to support God's work financially In sending the gospel to the nations. Look at verse 24 with me. It says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. That helped on, it really is, I'm coming to you and I'm raising support to go to Spain. It's a support raising trip. He's looking for encouragement. He's looking for, uh, you know, that kind of community, but he's no bones about it. He's hoping to get some help from them to go to Spain. But he doesn't even sound like it's a problem. (laughs) It's like, ah, and I'm hoping and I'm going to be helped on by you to Spain. It's a beautiful picture, once again, of a local church, of a a, a congregation of people saying, not only are we going to be generous here in this context, but we're going to take the gospel to the nations. And if I can't go, I'm sending. If I can't go myself, I'm going to put some money aside and we're going to send you. It's a beautiful picture of missions. In this same way, we, in 2016, have the great privilege to support Christ's work in the nations. This is a natural piece of the Christian life. It is a natural piece as we strive together for the gospel. We are to be about the gospel getting into our communities and in going to the world. It's not one or the other. We get to do both. So in my family, what this has looked like is we give faithfully to the church and we know that I love being a part of a church that is taking a huge portion of our money and investing in missions. Do you guys realize that? And we're not just throwing 10 bucks at some missionaries. We are investing some serious cash in sending the gospel to the nations. And I love it. But but our family has also decided on our own, we're going to support a couple of missionary families ourselves. So we have two families that we support on our own, out of our budget, uh, because we want to see God work in the nations. We also, this was something we did for the first time this last year and we've been doing it, we built a special line item into our budget that's just extra giving. Extra giving. It really is just... We use it to bless people. It might be a student who says, hey, I'm going on a mission trip. I need some money. Sweet. I'd love to be able to support that. Let me see if I've got money in my envelope. Okay, good. I've got some. Let me send it to you. Um, or, or, or it's something when, you know, a family's in need and they need some groceries. Or it's, you know, when we do that Thanksgiving dinner, that outreach where you say, hey, I want to give. I want to support. Let me pull from my money so I can support God's work in the community. So let me ask you this question. I'm going to say it this way. Have you made room in your budget for generosity? Have you built generosity into your budget? Recognizing that all that we have is God's. All that we own is his. Have you done that? I I don't do it perfectly. I don't want you to get the picture that we're throwing like half of our budget at missions right now. We wouldn't make it. But we have decided in our family that we're going to try to give. And it pinches and it hurts. And there are times where I'd much rather take that money and put it in my fun money account and do something with it. But it, it doesn't. Because I'm, we are excited about God's working in our community and in the nations. So because of the great gift of salvation that we've all experienced, we get to strive together in just generosity. We get to love our community. And we get to love each other because of Christ. But once again, this is still, this is still not the only thing we see here in this text. Once again, this beautiful picture of of little glimpses of the local church and God working through the local church. We also have the great privilege and we get to strive together in prayer. Look at verse 30 and 31 with me. I appeal to you brothers by our lord jesus christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to god on my behalf that i might be delivered from my, from the unbelievers in judea and that my service for jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints this word strive is that that idea of wrestling to join in my struggle to to contend alongside it's this beautiful picture of wrestling together for the work of the Lord. I often, and I think many in the church, often see prayer as this moment in time where we get to kind of throw some thoughts up to the Lord. Maybe we thank Him for a little bit, ask Him to do something, and we move on with our day. But Paul, perhaps the most effective missionary ever to walk the planet, recognized that he needed the prayers of faithful Christians to do the work that God had called him to do. He needed people alongside him wrestling in prayer with God, struggling in prayer with God, laboring. If I were to be honest with you, I, I don't think that that has categorized or, or uh, I don't think that that really communicates what my prayer life had looked like for much of my life. Just honestly. I prayed. I would pray, you know, we pray at meals. I would, you know, pray with people in need. I'd pray with my family. Um, But I don't know that I could ever, until really probably four or five years ago, say that I wrestled with God in prayer. I don't know that I could say that. But I don't know if it's through getting a little bit older and, and running into some harder things. Where God has driven me to my knees, or or if it's a little bit of God working in my pride and my arrogance, because I think one of the main reasons I don't pray or I didn't pray is because of my arrogance and my pride and my illusion of self sufficiency. I thought I could do it. I thought I could make it on my own. So I don't know if it's through the Lord bringing me on staff, you know, you know, and having to figure out how to lead a large high school ministry, or whether it's how the Lord has worked in my life to show me that I'm desperately in need of help to be the God, to be the dad and husband that I need to be or or if it's through times of tragedy like where my wife and I have had to work through the grief of a miscarriage I don't I don't it's all of these things put together but the lord has used that to draw me to my knees and pray and pray like I've never prayed before I love serving at a church that prays we do people pray I get emails, cards from you that say, I'm praying for your ministry, Ryan. Praying for your family, Ryan. And I, I love that I get to serve here on staff and I get time with, with Brad. Uh, but one of the things, if, I, if the Lord takes me away from this church, I can, I can almost guarantee you that what I will have learned from my time here is that I need to pray. And I've watched our pastor pray for you guys. Brad labors, labors for you in prayer. And when I leave here, I don't know when it'll be. I don't know, I don't know if I will, but I know what God is gonna leave through Brad is a legacy of prayer. I've, I've grown immensely under his leadership and I'm grateful for that. We had a baptism Sunday a a few weeks ago on the first, and it is always a joy for me, Um, particularly when we have you know high school students getting up and getting baptized and professing their faith in Christ. If you had seen me in any of the services I went to, all three, you'd have seen a crybaby in the back, (laughs) just crying as as people are, are are talking about Christ and what He's done. It was just a really neat moment for me, but there was one student who was baptized then who I can honestly say I labored for in prayer that I sought the Lord in prayer for his salvation I prayed through tears I wanted to give up I started to believe that maybe you know maybe the Lord wasn't listening or or maybe he's just too far gone But I got to stand in the back by those double doors and watch this young man give a testimony of how the Lord got a hold of his heart. And I just wept. Because I got to see the Lord work. And let me tell you, I was not the only one praying for this young man. We had people throughout our church wrestling together in prayer. Striving together for the sake of this young man's soul. There would be tears in our our youth ministry leader, kind of our leader meetings as, as we would talk about some of these kids. There's tears streaming down our volunteers' faces because we've been praying for something we're not sure if we're gonna see. But we got to sit in here May 1st and watch this young man get up, share his testimony, jump in the tank and profess Christ. How good is it that the Lord allows us to see those things? He didn't promise that I would get to see that. He could have saved him 30 years down the road and I might have got a letter on my deathbed saying, hey, thank you for your ministry. But he didn't, I got to see this. Got to see the Lord work. And I, I don't want to say it would have never happened if, but I can promise you the Lord heard our prayers. And he saved this young man. I have learned by God's grace, to labor in prayer. I didn't say this last service, but I want to encourage you guys to find a system that works for you for prayer. You know, you're not finding this in the text. This is just some counsel from Ryan who's learned some things. Find a system that works for you. There's not only one way to pray. Um, Brad does this, you know, this big journal where he writes all these things down, and I, I've tried that a couple times, and I struggled to do it. I'll be real with you, I struggled. But about a year ago, I ran across this, this app that I have on my phone. It's called Prayer Mate. And it has radically changed the way that I pray. I don't know what it is about it. It, it reminds me every day to pray. I can put different things in it, and, and it pulls from different lists every day. But I have never prayed like I've prayed in the last year and a half of my life. I found something that works for me. And by God's grace, it's a tool that I can use right now to pray. Just find something that works for you. If you're the cards person, if you read A Praying Life and you wanna make the cards like, the, like uh, Paul Miller does, go for it. If you wanna open up and, and, and do a journal, go for it. But I think what Paul is not telling you as far, as far as what this should actually look like, he's telling you that you just need to be doing it. You need to be striving with each other for gospel work in the nations and in this community. At the end of the day, we don't pray Because we think we don't need God. It's it's personal for me. I know that's why I struggle with it. I think I've got it. And then I only come to the Lord when things are really falling apart. When everything's unraveling. And he hears me. And he's there. And he listens. But we have the opportunity. We get to strive together in prayer we can pray for our missionaries we're sending out we can pray for the different ministries the children's ministry middle school ministry the high school ministry our counseling ministry do you even realize the weight that some of our counselors are bearing as they walk through messy stuff in our church they love our people in a very unique and special way pray for that ministry pray for god to work So maybe you're sitting in here today and you're what I would call maybe the skeptic about this whole Jesus thing. I want to I speak to you right now. If I were you, I'd be thinking, why in the world would anybody want to strive? Why would we want to wrestle for these things? Why in the world would I want to get involved in people's messes and give the money that I worked hard for? Why would I want to pray like this? Well, if you'd have been with us for this whole time, and you might have been, as we've walked through the book of Romans, we've seen a beautiful picture of this message we call the gospel. It shows us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we, we our natural tendency is to choose and to do things that do not honor the Lord. We have rebelled against God. And since God cannot put up with sin and commune with sin because he is perfect and holy, we have earned the deserved wrath of God. But God in his great love sent his son Jesus to earth to die on the cross for the sins of those who would trust in him for salvation. That if anybody would repent, seek forgiveness for their sin, Trust what Christ has done on the cross for them. They can be saved. That's why we talk about this, friend. We see all of our life as an, uh, just an offering of joy because Christ has given us the greatest gift anyone could ever give. We've received forgiveness and new life through Christ. That's why we strive together. That's why we strive together for the gospel. We strive together in ministry. We strive together in generosity and we strive together in prayer. We get to because what Christ has done for us. So in a moment we're going to close in song. I love going to the Lord uh, Singing after sitting under his word and chewing on his word. I think it just shapes our hearts in, a, in a, just a great, great way. I hope one of the things you did hear from me, and I'll say it again, is what a joy it is to serve here at, at GFC. We have a congregation full of people doing this, we have people who are involved in ministry giving their lives for ministry. We have generous hearts where people are giving of their time and of their energy and of their resources. And we have people who pray for life and for ministry, for gospel work in our community and in the nations. So it is a joy to serve you because I see you loving Christ so well. I hope you hear that. But I also know that all of us can grow, right? All of us have opportunities to honor the Lord more than we did yesterday. So before we sing, I'm going to ask you to to close your eyes. Just wait just one moment. (laughs) And what I'm going to ask you to do is I want you to think about these three main ideas. And I want you to just ask yourself, which one do I need to grow in? Maybe what area is is a little bit deficient in my walk with the Lord? Do I need to grow in my ability to strive in ministry together? Whether it's in my community or just one anothering in the Christian life? Do I need to grow in my generosity? Do I need to hold my things a little less tightly? Or do I need to grow in prayer? Do I need to strive? Together with my my brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer. So, would you bow your heads with me? Just ask the Lord, where would you have me grow? We have a wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord, to take part in his ministry in the world. Let's not sit on the sidelines and hope someone else does what is necessary. Ask the Lord, where can I grow? Father, thank you. Thank you that your word helps us see more clearly, that it helps us love you more fully, and helps us obey you because we love you and we're grateful for what you've done. Would you help us to, as we sing, would you help us to rejoice that at the end of the day, all that we have is you, Christ. Would you help us to rejoice in what you've done? And, and when we sing the words of this song, would you use my ransom life in any way you choose? God, help them not to just be words coming off our lips, but Lord, help us to trust them and to believe them. Father, you have been kind to us. Thank you for our church family. That we see real ministry happening every day because of your great work in our lives. Jesus, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing your hearts out? (laughs) Because we recognize and understand that all we have is Christ.